this morning and to be able to sit underneath God's word with you. Would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8? We're going to pick up and finish where we started last Sunday. Uh, if you grab the blue Bible, that's 894. If it's a red Bible, that's 1,138. If you're a guest and you happen to grab either one of those and you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible. That's our, our gift to you. Well, towards the end of the first century, there was a community of believers that experienced a, a small exodus of folks from their church. The, the, these folks that left, these were folks that, uh, that uh, they enjoyed fellowship with, that they, that they loved, that they broke bread with, that they prayed together with, that they just simply enjoyed living life together with. And, and then they left. And they experienced a lot of the same emotions. Those who remained experienced a lot of the same emotions and questions that you and I might experience when we see folks who professed faith leave the faith. What does this mean? Did they, did they lose their salvation? Did, did God lose their salvation? Were, were they believers to begin with? What, what does this mean for us? Well, the apostle John knowing these troubles were going on, wrote to this dear community of believers a little letter that we know as 1 John. And he wrote them to encourage them, to exhort them. And in writing, he wanted to do two big things. He wanted to correct some false teaching that was going on in the church. And he also wanted to provide marks, uh, identifiers of what a true disciple of Jesus looked like. And in so doing... When these believers that remained in the church read through these marks, saw these marks, they would be encouraged themselves in seeing those marks in their own lives and then know that they were a true disciple of Jesus. What's more, John also provided marks of a false disciple. Well, you probably won't be surprised to learn that the marks that, Jesus, uh, that John provided, he got from Jesus, and, and that brings us now to our passage, John 8. You know, last Sunday, the passage ended in verse 30. Many believed in Jesus. And our passage this morning begins with, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed. And one of the hallmarks throughout the gospel of John is Jesus says things and then it recounts that people believed. We're going to get a different experience here this morning. Jesus is addressing those who seemingly believed, and he's going to expose something about their belief. And in the end, what we're going to see is that Jesus provides us with four non-negotiable marks of a true disciple of Jesus. Or we could call them four non-negotiable marks of a true child of God. All right, so here's how we're going to approach this passage. We're going to kind of work pretty briskly through the passage itself, because I want to show the, the dialogue so we understand what's going on, etc. And then I want to go back through and point out these non-negotiable marks of a true disciple of Jesus that Jesus himself provides us with in this text. So Jesus is addressing those who had seemingly put their faith in him, and maybe our thoughts is, whoa, 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 how does he know where they're at? Jesus knows everything. We already learned back in chapter two, Jesus knows the hearts of men. So in a moment, he knows that this is, in fact, false faith, a false profession. 
So Jesus says to the Jews, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abide carries with the idea of remaining faithful. In other words, in an ongoing way, Jesus' disciples will receive his word and obey his word. In an ongoing way, Jesus' disciples will receive his word and obey his word. And then verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As Jesus' disciples receive and obey his word, they'll know the truth. That is, they'll come to know Jesus more. Jesus is the truth. And as they come to know him, who is the truth, in his word, they'll be transformed by that truth. Verse 33, the Jews respond. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? You see, we know that they know that they have been enslaved numerous times by numerous political entities. And so I think what's going on here is that they're saying, we've never been enslaved spiritually by anyone. And the sad irony of this statement is is thick with what Jesus is about to say. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices or makes a habit of sin is a slave to sin. The Jews are slaves to sin. And what's more, they are blind to their enslavement. We all are blind to sin and blind to our enslavement to sin until Jesus gives us eyes to see. Everyone who makes a habit of sinning may feel that they freely choose to sin, but in reality, that sin is their master. Jesus continues, verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. The the Jews thought they were sons, and in fact, they were slaves. A slave has no permanent place or status in the master's household, but a son has a permanent status in the family as a privileged son or, or daughter and heir. Verse 36, Jesus continues, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The the, the Jews' physical relation to Abraham, their ethnicity, had zero bearing on their spiritual freedom. Listen, it, it doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American. The list goes on. Your ethnicity has nothing to do with your spiritual freedom. Everyone is a slave to sin apart from Jesus' emancipating work on the cross. But when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free from the power and rule of sin and free to the things of God. To say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Jesus continues, verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father. 
and you do what you have heard from your father. See, Jesus affirms their, their physical descent from Abraham because that's not the problem. The problem is that they're trying to kill Jesus because his word finds no place in him. They're not acting like Abraham's children. They're acting like their father. Well, emphatically, the Jews respond, verse 39, Abraham is our father. It is preposterous and offensive to them that Jesus would, would ever consider that Abraham is not their father. And Jesus goes further, verse 30, the end of verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Back in verse 33, the Jews said their offspring of Abraham, and in other words, their physical descendants. Here in verse 39, Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children. Now, there's two different Greek words that are used here. That's why most of our English translations use two different English words here, and they're, they're trying to discuss two different things. The Jews were talking about something physical, while Jesus is and has been and will be talking about something spiritual. The Apostle Paul, picking up what Jesus is talking about here, addressed the same thing in Romans 9, 6b through 8 when he wrote, For not all who are descended from physical Israel belong to spiritual Israel, and not all are spiritual children of Abraham because they are his physical offspring. But... Through Isaac shall your spiritual offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as spiritual offspring. And citing Genesis 21, 12, Paul is arguing from the Old Testament that physical descent from Abraham was not sufficient to determine one's spiritual status. Jesus is saying, hey, you, you, you may be physical descendants from Abraham, but, but you are not spiritual children of Abraham, and that's what matters. Further, their actions confirm this. They're not doing the works of Abraham. And what are the works of Abraham? Abraham welcomed the word of God and obeyed God's commandments. God himself testified, Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. My commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Genesis 26, 5. It's from F.F. F. Bruce. The Jews, though, were rejecting the word of God who stood right in front of them. They're not hearing God's word. They're not obeying God's commands. And where it mattered most, in light of eternity, Jesus tells them in verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. Infuriated, they respond to Jesus at the end of verse 41. We are not born of sexual morality. We have one Father, even God. You see, if, if Jesus won't afford them Abraham as their father, which they scoff at, they then insist that God is our Father. Jesus responds, verse 42 If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Nope, God's not your daddy either. If God were their father, Jesus says they would love him. You see, since Jesus is God's son, 
and has been sent by God and represents God and is God, then to say that we love God but do not love Jesus is to actually say we do not love God. In other words, God is not the father of those who do not love and obey his son. Jesus isn't done. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Well, straight out of how to win friends and influence, Jesus, uh, influence people, Jesus lets them know that they are offspring of the devil. They're not God's children. They don't have ears to hear and obey God. If they did, they would hear God's words coming out of Jesus' mouth. In fact, they're so spiritually corrupt that Jesus effectively tells them that they hear truth as lies and lies as truth. Well, the Jews respond with great wit and sophistication with essentially saying, I know you are, but what am I? Verse 48, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Two things to note about Jesus' response. One, Jesus doesn't care what they think. God is the judge. Two, Jesus is not gonna get pulled into the mudslinging. He has eternity on his mind. He, again, he offers eternal life to anyone who will keep his word. The Jews respond, starting in verse 52. Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Let me see, look, by taking Jesus literally, they are just wildly confused. Look, disciples of Jesus in every generation have physically died. Jesus is talking about eternal life. All those who keep his word will live forever in heaven. The final question that the Jews ask Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? It, it propels, moves forward, informs the rest of the dialogue. <clears throat> in the end, this, this is the most important question the most important question that they ask, and it's the most important question that we have to wrestle with, too. Who Jesus is, who, who we think Jesus is, has eternal consequences. Jesus answers, starting in verse 54. 
If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. For answering their question, Jesus reaffirms that he is not a glory seeker, but it is his Father in heaven of whom he knows and of whose word he keeps that gives him glory. Then Jesus starts to answer their question about his identity with the statement, your, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This isn't an easy statement to interpret commentaries all over the place. But, but here, here's, I think, at least what this makes the most sense. Jesus was saying that Abraham, through the eyes of faith, saw God's provision for the promised seed of the woman, the Redeemer, through God's promise to him that in his seed shall all the nations be blessed, and so joyously anticipated his coming. Jesus is saying that he is that redeemer that Abraham saw with the eyes of faith. Abraham was fully trusting in what God was revealing to him at the time. He, he didn't see or know everything. He couldn't see the future, but he knew God, and he trusted God fully that he would fulfill what he promised. Well, the, the Jews are offended again and completely bewildered. You see, having never exercised the eyes of faith themselves, they respond to Jesus in verse 57, are you not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Now, now Jesus fully and famously answers their question about his identity. Verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It's, it's not simply that Abraham saw Jesus, but that Jesus eternally existed before Abraham. Jesus says, before Abraham temporally existed, I eternally existed. Jesus claiming God's self-identification that he used in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Jesus was unambiguously identifying himself as Yahweh, Israel's covenant God. And we know that's the case because we know that the Jews understood that to be the case. That's why in verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Man, this is an uncomfortable text. This is an uncomfortable text. It's supposed to be an uncomfortable text. I, I hope you could feel the, the tension of Jesus publicly exposing them as having made a false profession. The tension had to be thick. But here's the thing. Jesus exposed because he loved. Think about it. It would have been cruel 
of Jesus to leave them in the dark, thinking that they were going to heaven when in fact they were going to hell. And look, he doesn't just expose them. He again offers them eternal life. And listen, this, this word is living and active. Jesus is still speaking to people through this passage who believe they've made a genuine profession of faith when, in fact, they've made a false profession of faith. And this passage is for us today. That's why it is here. At the very least, this text is calling all believers to be diligent to confirm our calling and election, 2 Peter 1.10. But at the most, Jesus wants to expose nominal Christian faith, faith that is in name only. All right, phase two. Phase two of the sermon. In this passage, Jesus provides us with four non-negotiable marks. Non-negotiable marks of a true disciple of Jesus or marks of a true child of God. So at the time we have left, we want to consider these marks. But first, we're going to pray real quick. We're going to ask Jesus right now to give us some unusual grace and humility so that we too, if needs be, might be exposed. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, we do pray right now, please pour out your grace and humility. Humility is alien to us. We need your grace and humility, Father, so that we might also be, in submitting to your word, be exposed where we need to be exposed. Please, Father, do that through the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First mark. You've got these in your sermon notes. A true disciple of Jesus receives and obeys Jesus' Word, this mark can be summed up with verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The the theme of receiving and obeying Jesus' word runs throughout this whole text. But this doesn't mark the Jews in our passage. The very first thing that comes out of their mouth is not, oh, Jesus, give us more of your word. We We wanna experience your freedom. No, they're offended by Jesus' word. Immediately, they start fighting with Jesus How dare you say we're not free? Jesus' word is abrasive to them. They're not receiving it. They're not submitting to it. A true disciple of Jesus is one who receives and obeys Jesus' word. D.A. Carson well said, a genuine believer remains in Jesus' word, his teaching. In other words, such a person obeys it, seeks to understand it better, finds it more precious, more controlling, precisely when other forces flatly oppose it. Additionally, a true disciple of Jesus remains faithful to Jesus' word even when their feelings seem to tell them to do otherwise. We're called to submit everything to Jesus' emancipating word. A disciple of Jesus is literally a student of Jesus. And a student of Jesus is literally one who is in his word. The Bible is where the student of Jesus learns of Jesus, who he is, what what he's done for them, and what he's calling his disciples to do and be by his 
grace. Now, as verse 32 says, as his disciples receive and obey his word, they'll know the truth. That is, they'll come to know him who is the truth, John 14, 6, as they remain in his word. And as they come to know him who is the truth, they'll be transformed by that truth. Jesus' disciples will literally be set free to live in a manner that is pleasing to Jesus because they will start living more and more like Jesus, the very one whom they're a learner of. A true disciple of Jesus receives and obeys Jesus' word. Pastor Kent Hughes well said, some of us may feel that Jesus' word is restrictive and a burden and feel like freedom is found in diverging from his word. However, the truth is, when we depart from Jesus' word in any way, we're actually entering into the greatest bondage we could ever know. When we depart from Jesus' word, we resent and are abrasive to suggestions from family and friends that something might be wrong in our lives. When we're in bondage, we excel at minimizing our enslavement. After lovingly pointing out someone's sin, maybe you've heard things like, it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. I've just got a few adjustments I need to be making. Or, hey, you're too much about the rules. Jesus was about grace. Or, is that really what Jesus meant in this text? Let's, let's do some word study. Many of us profess that we're disciples of Jesus, but don't receive Jesus' word and don't obey Jesus' word. Many of us profess we're disciples of Jesus, but we don't even know his voice. Friends, Jesus says we can't claim to be his disciples and then not receive his word, never hearing from him in his word. Jesus says we can't profess to be a child of God and then never come to the table of his word and be fed. So what about you? Are you regularly opening up his word and feasting, learning, Jesus' disciples have an appetite for his word. So just like when you miss a meal or two and you get hunger pains, a true disciple of Jesus gets spiritual hunger pains when they miss a meal or two of feeding on his word. Is that you? Many of us profess we're disciples of Jesus but flippantly disobey his commands. Friends, Jesus says we can't profess we're his disciples and make a practice, a habit of sinning. Jesus says we can't claim to be a child of God and pick and choose which commands we want to obey or have some sort of private sin that we unrepentantly play with. Maybe you're obedient to some things. Jesus says like, you know, don't murder and don't commit adultery, but not with other things like, you know, lust, which Jesus says is adultery of the heart, or 
anger towards others, which Jesus says is murder of the heart. How are you doing with loving your neighbor? I, I mean your coworker who you don't care for. How are you doing with loving your actual neighbor that you don't look like or don't have much in common with? Are you obeying Jesus' word? A true disciple of Jesus receives and obeys Jesus' word. John picks up Jesus' truth in 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to live in the same way in which he lived. And then again in 1 John 3, 6 when he writes, no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. And again in 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps Jesus' commandments abides in God and God in him. Listen. We're not receiving and obeying Jesus' word. Jesus would confront us in this text and ask us, are you really my disciple? A true disciple of Jesus receives and obeys Jesus' word. Second, non-negotiable mark of a true disciple of Jesus that we get from this text is a true disciple of Jesus loves Jesus. The key text for this mark is found in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. This, do, this doesn't mark the folks in our passage either. The very opposite is what marks them. They want to kill Jesus. In the end, they're picking up, in the end, they're picking up stones to do just that. But let's be clear. The text says, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus' words finds no place in them because, verse 38, they do what they heard from their father. Indeed, it is their desire to do what their father desires, as verse 44 says. They, they don't love Jesus, and it's not just a feeling of love. It's actually words and actions that demonstrate their hatred for Jesus and their love for the devil. A true disciple of Jesus loves Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. A, a true disciple of Jesus has a, a wholehearted love and wholehearted devotion for Jesus. So what does it look like to love Jesus, you may ask? John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you love Jesus, you will receive and obey Jesus' word. We don't have to make this complicated. A disciple of Jesus loves Jesus, and a disciple who loves Jesus receives and obeys his word. But here's another way to think about it. Fundamentally, to love Jesus means that we love everything else less in comparison to him. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, what are some of your loves and joys? Where, where, where do you tend to, more often than not, receive just deep satisfaction? 
Now, look, I, we all know that the right, the right answer is, is Jesus, but what was the first couple things that came to your mind? Or, or, or even just where did Jesus fall on the list? What does it look like to love Jesus? It looks like finding more joy and more satisfaction in Jesus than in any worldly pleasure. It looks like finding more enjoyment and more peace binging on Jesus' word than binging on Netflix. It looks like loving the approval of Jesus more than loving the approval of man. Listen. If Jesus isn't our, our first love, our primary satisfaction, I believe Jesus would confront us in this text and ask, are you truly my disciple? A true disciple of Jesus loves Jesus. Third non-negotiable mark of a true disciple of Jesus that we get from this text is a true disciple of Jesus sees Jesus as eternally God. Key text, <clears throat> verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This mark, uh, this doesn't mark the folks in our passage. Remember, the most important question they asked, who do you make yourself out to be, revealed that they did not know who Jesus really was. I mean, at one point, they thought he was a demon-possessed Samaritan, and by the end, they thought he was a blasphemer worthy of execution. A true disciple of Jesus sees Jesus as eternally God. In the passage from last Sunday, we read in verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Eternity hinges on this question of who do you believe Jesus to be? I mean, this was so important to John, <laughs> so important to John that his gospel starts off with, in the beginning was the word. So who do you believe Jesus is? Is he, is he truly Lord and, and Savior, the one whom you submit everything to? Or, or is he the, the genie that, you expect to grant your wishes when, when you open your Bible up. Maybe Jesus is just the confessional booth where you go get things off your chest, but you don't see him as the sacrificial lamb who died for your sins. You don't see him as the redeemer. Maybe Jesus is just the guy that we blame when things aren't going the way that we think they should. John, again, leaning on Jesus, says in 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. Listen, if we see Jesus as anything other than eternally God, Jesus would confront us in this passage and ask us, are you truly my disciple? The fourth, final, non-negotiable mark 
of a true disciple of Jesus that we, that we get here in this text is a true disciple of Jesus remains a disciple of Jesus to the end. Key text for this, Mark, is found in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Often this mark is categorized under the heading of perseverance. That is, all true disciples of Jesus will persevere to the end in saving faith. All true disciples of Jesus will will persevere to the end in saving faith. John speaks of this truth from Jesus in 1 John 2.19. They, speaking of those who left the church, went out from us, speaking of those who remained, but they, those who left, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. In other words, their, their lack of perseverance gave evidence that they were never truly genuine believers to begin with. Now, why do I say they were never genuine believers to begin with? Because the Bible speaks clearly that God who began salvation in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Philippians 1, 6, where Jesus himself says in John 10, 28 through 29, I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. But that doesn't mark, this doesn't mark the folks in our passage either. At the beginning of our passage, they're articulated as believers. And at the end of the passage, they hate Jesus and they want to kill Jesus. Now, let's be clear. This mark is one that is ultimately seen at the end of a life that's been lived out. But Jesus knows the heart. So he doesn't need a life to be lived out here. He knows in a moment what's going on in the inner recesses of these folks' hearts. And John's word that we read, well, they're inspired from this Jesus. That said, perseverance is a mark of a true disciple of Jesus. So if we see ourselves, which is probably not likely, but if we, we see our brothers and sisters in Christ straying away from the faith, we should be concerned and in love We should pursue our brothers and sisters and care for them with grace and the gospel and call them to walk in the light of repentance. A true disciple of Jesus remains a disciple of Jesus to the end. Just a few closing thoughts first. These marks won't always look perfect. But these marks will ultimately mark all true disciples of Jesus. I've been praying for the Holy Spirit's work of conviction where it's needed through this text. And if that's you, I want to remind you of God's gracious gift of repentance. And what a sweet gift that we get to walk in the light of repentance and know that we will experience forgiveness because of the cross of Christ. Second, again, I've been praying for the Holy Spirit's work of conviction. Maybe, maybe the Lord Jesus has been exposing you this morning as someone who thought they were a believer, but in fact is not a true disciple of Jesus. 
got good news for you. In love, Jesus has exposed you. And in love, Jesus is calling you, calling you to receive and obey his word. He's calling you to love him and to truly see him as Lord and Savior. He's, he's calling you to come to him and, and find forgiveness. Lastly, this is crucial. He, hear me, hear me. Don't look at these marks as a checklist to earn your salvation. Don't look at these marks as a checklist to earn your right standing with God. In other words, these marks don't make someone a disciple. These marks give evidence that God has already made someone a disciple of Jesus, his child. Don't use these marks to earn right standing with God. A true disciple of Jesus will display these marks because they've already been united to the perfect disciple of God, Jesus. Jesus perfectly reflected these things. Jesus perfectly received and obeyed God's word. I keep his word, John 8, 55. Jesus perfectly loved the Father. I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father, John 14, 31. Jesus perfectly saw God for who he is. I speak of what I've seen with my Father, John 8, 38. Jesus perfectly remained faithful to God in the end. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do, John 17, 4. It is finished, he cried on the cross. Ultimately, ultimately, a true disciple of Jesus is one who by faith is united to the perfect disciple of God, Jesus Christ. But church, Jesus has been telling us that talk is cheap. These marks we've talked about are absolutely non-negotiable marks that give evidence that a person is a true disciple of his. Let's pray. Oh God, there is a, a lot of convicting grace in this text, but that's what it is. Thank you for your your convicting grace. And we pray, Father, that it would do its work. Father, would you be pleased to expose on many levels this morning, expose true disciples of where they're not like Jesus and where they need more grace to repent, to turn, and to, to be like Jesus. And, and your work in exposing those who in love, you've exposed that they're not who they thought they were. But I know that you want to give more grace. You want to call them to receive and obey your word, to love Jesus, to see him for who he really is, and to persevere to the end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.